podcast about product management, user experience design, technology, and more. This is Product by Design. Welcome to another episode of Product by Design. I am Kyle Evans, and today we are talking about groupthink, a really fascinating topic. Understanding groupthink, recognizing it in teams and organizations so that we can understand it and avoid it. So I've written about this topic uh, a number of times, both in my newsletter, Product Thinking, as well as in uh, Product by Design, uh, where you can find that in the links in the show notes. Uh, So you can see some of the posts, and I have linked all of those. And of course, we'll be talking about it here on today's podcast. So let's start with some stories that I think will help us illustrate some of these points. Spaceflight is inherently dangerous. They strap you to a rocket moving at 18,000 miles per hour, which sounds crazy. But insane or not, we don't have to be stupid about it. Many of us are familiar with the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster in 1986. NASA launched the ill-fated flight in January, which exploded 73 seconds after liftoff, killing its crew in front of everyone watching. The proximate cause was the O-ring, which couldn't handle the freezing temperatures and linked fuel during the launch, causing the explosion. But the actual cause was the inability of the group's inside the various organizations to descent to the launch because of the pressures of managers and dates. A similar story played out with the Columbia disaster in 2003. The Columbia shuttle was damaged during launch and upon re-entry to Earth's atmosphere at the end of its mission, it exploded, killing its crew. Both are tragedies but the second feels even worse because the lessons of the first should have helped prevent the second, but they didn't. The mission team on the ground could fully investigate the damage before re-entry, but they didn't. Dissenting voices were silenced and they entertained only the most optimistic views of the success of the mission and the return of the space shuttle. There was no room for contrary opinions until everything went wrong. We often think working in groups will help us do better work. It's why we have teams at work and in school and in many situations, right? We expect the group to curb individual biases and to make better decisions. Unfortunately, the opposite can be true. Individual biases can get amplified in groups. And we know this as group polarization. As a group talks and works together, it may move to a more extreme consensus. They have shown this experimentally uh, in the link that you can find that I reference in the article uh, that I have in the show notes. The authors tested out the, the theory with some hot button political issues bringing together people from left-leaning or right-leaning backgrounds. After grouping them with similar thinking members, not only did the group get more extreme, 
but individuals reported more extreme personal views as well. So that is one of the potential problems of working in groups, this idea of group polarization. There's also another potential problem with groupthink uh, known as hidden profiles. When we bring a group together, we will often get the information that most members have, but a serious problem is the information that a few members have could stay hidden. If 12 members all know something, but two of the group members have some additional information that would be helpful, it's likely that those two will stay silent. This is like the shared information bias that happens together with it. We will focus on the information we all share in order to reach a consensus rather than the information that only a few may have that may be more consequential. So what are the conditions for groupthink? Irving L. Janus was a pioneer in the study of group dynamics and coined the term groupthink in 1971. He described three fundamental conditions that make groupthink more likely. First off, a highly cohesive group where there are no longer disagreements and members are de-individualized. So that's the first, a highly cohesive group. Second, structural faults, such as a leader with a preference for a certain decision, insulation of the group from outside opinions, or homogeny of group members. So that's the second, structural faults. And third, situational contexts, such as highly stressful external threats, recent failures, or time pressures. So highly cohesive group, structural faults, and situational contexts. So those are the three conditions for group drink. The symptoms that uh, Janice identified, and there were eight of them that contribute to groupthink, and he grouped them into three categories. So the type one, overestimating the power and morality of the group. These type one symptoms are first off, illusions of invulnerability, creating excessive optimism and extreme risk seeking. So that is the first type one. And the second, unquestioned belief in the group's morality, causing members to ignore consequences of their actions. So those are the uh, the type one. And then type two, close-mindedness. So rationalizing warnings that might challenge or discount the group's assumptions and stereotyping those who oppose the group as weak, evil, biased, spiteful, impotent, or stupid. And then the type three symptoms, pressures, pressures toward uniformity, uh, contributing to self-censorship of ideas that deviate from the apparent group consensus and illusions, illusions of unanimity among group members, silence is viewed as agreement. Uh, direct pressure to conform placed on any member who questions the group, couched in terms of disloyalty and mind guards, uh, self-appointed members who shield the group from dissenting information. So those are the symptoms, uh, overestimating 
the power and morality of the group, close-mindedness, and pressures towards uniformity. Going back to the tragedy of Colombia, most of the factors listed uh, were present in the tragedy. The conditions for groupthink were right for the mission team. It was a cohesive group with structural faults and outside pressures. Uh, that seems to be a recurring theme with NASA when problems arise. But as you dive deeper, you can see the symptoms as well. The group apparently had an attitude of invulnerability as evidenced by skipping meetings. There was self-censorship within the mission team, pressure to silence criticism and guards against dissenting information. Rather than ask questions like what could go wrong, they were only looking at the best scenarios and assuming everything would go right with the mission and with the return. So how else does groupthink manifest in teams and organizations? Uh, I've got a number of other scenarios and examples here. Uh, the first one, the hippo. For those unfamiliar with the term, the hippo stands for the highest paid person's opinion. The hippo is usually a leader or an executive with authority in your area or even outside it. And when they speak, everyone listens and obeys, even if it's not the best course of action. This is one way that groupthink can overtake uh, our decision process. If the CEO or SVP of marketing is in your meeting and says that they would like to see the application done a certain way or see uh, things done in a specific way, it often takes the rest of the air out of the room. Depending on how strong of a personality they have or you have, this may be the last word of the, on the matter. This is one of the structural faults identified by Irving Janus in his work on groupthink. When you have an impartial leader, there is often little room for dissent or criticism, and the deck gets stacked, often insurmountably. So that is the, the hippo. There's also the Abilene paradox. This comes from Jerry B. Harvey and is characterized by a group of people collectively agreeing to a course of action counter to the preferences of each individual. And I find this absolutely fascinating. The paradox starts with someone suggesting that a group drive to Abilene or Abilene, which is 50 miles away for a meal. And the road is long and hot. And this idea comes uh, from before uh, cars had air conditioning. Now, <laughs> I don't know not many of us have probably driven before cars had air conditioning. And I used to actually have a car that didn't have air conditioning. It's terrible. Um, so no one in the group wants to go, but each agrees not wanting to dissent. So they all go, they have a mediocre meal, and they all complain about it when they get back. Only then do they realize that none of them wanted to go. And even the person who suggested it only did so but because he thought the others were bored. How often do we see this on our teams? Not wanting to rock the boat, we self-censor or go along with the idea, assuming that if everyone else agrees, then it can't be that bad of an idea. I've been guilty of this enough times to know that going along with the group, even when they are confident, isn't enough to get my support, which is why I try to make a habit of questioning teams 
team decisions, especially early on. Uh, When I came into a new team several years ago, I didn't do this. We were well into the development of an additional feature for a product, and it seemed like everyone was moving along, so I didn't ask enough questions. I hopped into the car to Abilene, and we kept driving, and it came back to bite me. Nothing about the feature turned out like we had hoped, and everyone knew it in hindsight, but none of us had stopped it. So don't let that happen to you. Uh, Next up, design by committee. Groups are meant to help us make better decisions, but often the opposite can happen. We've talked about this and how groups can drive us to be more polarized, but the opposite is also true. When we create a new product or feature, we often set out with a bold vision or strategy, but depending on your company or organization, that bold vision gets put through multiple cycles of de-boldifying. Everyone has to have their say. So what was once a focused idea becomes a mishmash of everyone's wish list. This happens with products, with features, with roadmaps, with strategies, and is often worse for bigger groups. Rather than a focused, bold direction, you end up with something designed by committee. And it shows in the article that is associated with this podcast. I have a, a, a meme or a cartoon that has a group of people sitting around a conference room and one of the people uh, stating that, no, this is too polarizing of an idea. Let's go with the idea that makes everyone feel equally indifferent. And that's often <laughs> how we design by committee. So let's also talk about the roadmap or project planned. Another cause of groupthink in our product teams is the roadmap or project plan. And this is why we love and hate roadmaps, as I've written about before. The cause of this problem is the time pressure that a roadmap or plan puts onto a group. While a roadmap shouldn't be a firm commitment to a date, That is often how it is viewed by leaders or other stakeholders, and they often hold teams to those commitments. Once time pressures are are introduced, many groups fall into the trap of groupthink. Rather than question assumptions or look for alternative paths, they will follow the plan and everyone will go along with it because it's easier to go with the flow than rock the boat. We've all been there before. I know I have. We've made a commitment, and while things may have changed, the easier path is simply to deliver the feature than to get everyone to understand why it would be better to pivot or, heaven forbid, delay. I'm certainly no longer afraid of those conversations and even relish them more than I should because they give me a chance to help others understand roadmaps and product thinking better. That's not always an option for everyone, and it's a pitfall. For groupthink. Finally, uh, a lack of methodology. When teams don't have processes or methodologies to guide their decisions, it's easier to fall into groupthink. This was another cause identified by Janice in the 1970s, and it's just as relevant today. Good product teams have a process for making good decisions and for creating excellent products. That should involve research, discovery, time for iteration and learning, and repeating the process. Unfortunately, many product teams uh, 
don't have some or all of these methodologies, discovery may not be part of the process. They may be handed features to develop from an executive team who think they know best, or they may not have time to learn and iterate, having to move from one thing to the next. Good product management is about helping teams have good decision processes, forcing us to think about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And if we don't do that, we often move too quickly, not questioning our assumptions, relying on the hippo or the project plan or the loudest voice in the group, none of which make for a good product experience. Many, many bad products have come to market, not as flukes, but as outcomes of many of the issues above. And unfortunately, groupthink continues to be pervasive on our product teams at every level, whether it's a minor feature or a big launch. Sometimes it's a poorly designed product. Sometimes it's a tragedy like the space shuttle Columbia. But at its core, we can often find groupthink, which is why we need to understand it, recognize it, and avoid it. So how do we avoid groupthink? Let's talk a little bit about that. And let's use another story. One of the most classic cases of groupthink was the Bay of Pigs invasion in 1961. During this episode, the CIA trained Cuban exiles to return to Cuba to overthrow the Castro regime. President Eisenhower organized the operation and President Kennedy inherited it. The U.S. planned on financing the dissidents providing support, and sparking a counter-revolution in Cuba. Despite misgivings, no one spoke up against the plan, and it turned into a massive failure. The Cuban military quickly routed the dissidents, and the U.S. pulled support while the exiles surrendered. It was a classic case of groupthink. Everyone thought it was a bad idea, but no one was willing to say anything. And And so the plan progressed to its inevitable end. Groupthink can lead to tragedy, as we explored with the Space Shuttle Challenger and the Space Shuttle Columbia. But how can we avoid it? What steps can we take and guards can we put in place to avoid the pitfalls? There are a number. First off, good leadership. Picture this scenario. You need to make an important decision about priorities. A new opportunity has come up and displaced some existing work. So you go into a meeting with key decision makers. After some discussion about the problem, you go around the room to decide how to prioritize the work. The executive and the salesperson for the new business are passionate about it. They talk about it first and how important it is and time sensitive it needs to be. Everyone agrees with the assessment as you go around the room. So you now have your new direction, or do you? This is a classic trap, and one that I knew we would fall into recently. So in a discussion, I sent out a questionnaire before our meeting to get everyone's opinion about the order of priorities. I wanted to understand what each person thought before we discussed and before other leaders or participants could sway things one way or another. This is an important tactic for avoiding groupthink, especially for leaders. If you are a leader, before you tilt the scale, you need to understand what others are thinking because their 
is a good chance that your enthusiasm for an idea may lead to a specific direction, whether or not everyone else agrees with that. So understanding before you speak is critical. Next, outside expertise. Any single person can be wrong. You can be wrong. Your team can be wrong. It's easy to get into your own heads. We're often the experts in our area, especially if we've been doing something for a long time. That can be amazing, but also dangerous because with expertise, we bring bias, especially within our businesses. We have a stake in certain outcomes, whether we realize it or not. In my current company, we have a vested interest in people being in the office. So that led many people to think, especially early on in COVID, that the crisis would pass quickly and people would return to their offices soon. A great way to avoid groupthink is to get outside expertise. Not a single outside expert, but a variety of outside opinions. A variety of voices that can help you understand different sides of the problem. If you are a product manager, listening to your users is critical here, but also listening to other experts in the industry. Even if we can't get outside experts, we can take an outside view. Daniel Kahneman, in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, famously recognized this when working on curriculum and a textbook for the Israeli Ministry of Education. The group was incredibly optimistic about their timeline, expecting to finish within two years. Kahneman then asked one of the group if anyone undertaking a similar project had succeeded that quickly. The answer was that most groups took an average of seven years if they finished it all. That was a hard realization for the group and one they should have heeded, but ultimately didn't. The key was that the group took an outside view. What had other groups done? What was an outside perspective rather than our group perspective? Deliberate debate. I'm a huge proponent of deliberate debate on teams and within organizations. Cultivating a culture of debate is one of the best things you can do to foster creativity and avoid groupthink. I wrote about the pitfall of not having a culture of openness previously, but how can you create deliberate debate? One way is to create a red team. In one organization I worked in, we had the practice of deliberately creating red teams, whether groups or individuals who had the responsibility to thoughtfully oppose to big decisions and analyze ways they could go wrong. Often, they would be known as supporters of the decisions, but we expected them to look deeply at how things could go wrong and bring all of those things to the surface. In another organization, we already had a culture of debate, so you could expect everyone to take the role of the red team. That meant that for big decisions or proposals, you'd have to come prepared to discuss and defend. It was not meant to be a personal attack, but to flesh out weaknesses before they became colossal problems. And it it was very successful. It was incredibly stressful initially, but I learned to love those debates and discussions. I often became my own red team, looking for weaknesses before others could, so I could strengthen my own proposals. A what-are-we-missing mindset. I don't do a lot of driving right now, but when I was commuting each day, I tended to drive a little faster than the speed limit. Some of you might do the same, but whenever I was passing a group of cars going a lot slower than I was going, I always asked myself, what am I missing? It worried me 
that they might know something that I didn't. Like there might be a highway, highway patrol ahead. We should constantly ask ourselves, what are we missing? That's excellent advice for driving down the road, especially if you're speeding. Not that I'm encouraging that, but it's better advice for a group or team. What are you overlooking? What are you, what aren't you thinking about? This goes into becoming our own red team. We need to identify potential pitfalls before they become issues. If you're ever in a room or group where everyone agrees, pause the discussion because you're undoubtedly missing something. We were just watching one of the most recent Bond movies, and it struck me that they completely missed this in one of the weapons they were creating. Not to spoil the movie for anybody who hasn't watched it, but they were creating an experimental weapon, the good guys in the movie. But in in, cre- in creating this experimental weapon, clearly nobody was thinking about what are the potential misuses for it. Nobody was asking the hard questions about what happens if this falls into the wrong hands. Because eventually something like that does happen. And what are the potential misuses for this? We need to ask those types of difficult questions. What are we missing? What are the potential pitfalls for this? For all of the things that we're doing, what are the things that we could be missing? Because if if we don't ask those types of hard questions, then we're going to be missing something. And (laughs) the products that we're making could end up being misused. (laughs) <laughs> the terrible the terrible weapons that government agencies are trying to make for good can end up falling into the wrong hands and being used for evil purposes the amazing products that we're trying to create could be put to bad uses if we aren't thinking about what are all of the possible ways that this could be used so we need to be thinking about those things uh, methods for decisions having a method for making a decision is a key for avoiding groupthink. On good product teams, this is a product discovery process. It's easy to give in to the loudest voice or the highest paid person's opinion like we've talked about. But if you have a good process in place, you don't fall victim to that kind of thinking. In one product I was working on, we had a solid process in place. The executive who had incredible experience in the area wondered why we weren't doing things in a certain way. I pulled out the user research I had done along with the data we had collected to show why we were doing it differently and showed that despite what some people were saying, the way we were doing it would be a better experience for users and better for our company. And that was the end of the discussion. With a good process in place, you don't fall victim to groupthink, but you can apply the right methods and come to the right conclusions. Team Dynamics One of the biggest problems in groupthink is the group itself. If you have a highly cohesive group, you are at risk for groupthink, especially if that group has been together for a long time. I've seen this firsthand. Teams that have worked together for a long time with similar industry experience in the same company, like for the last decade, are ripe for groupthink. The best thing you can do is inject diversity into that group. That includes outside perspectives, new to the company or new to the group, and unique experiences and backgrounds. But it also includes changing how the group functions. If you are a leader observing a group, you need to ensure that you are getting the right dynamic. If possible, you want 
to get people willing to debate and express opinions, as well as people who can balance the social interactions of the group to get the best outcomes and participation. Research shows that women will be critical to this. My personal experience has proven that out. I was recently in a group that was tailored for achieving an outcome and had a perfect mix of new perspectives and old experience. It had varying disciplines, men and women, and different temperaments. It was amazing the results we achieved in a short time. I was also part of a group that was the perfect storm of the wrong mix of people. It had only people who had been in the group for a long period of time, only non-diverse perspectives. I was the only outside person in that group. And it was terrible because I felt like I, I was completely silenced and there, were no, there was no diversity of opinion. And it was one of the worst experiences that I had ever had. So getting the right mix is so important. And, and getting the right team dynamics in order to avoid groupthink. And when we see the next groupthink happening, we can help correct it before it becomes the next Bay of Pigs or simply another poor product, a poor product feature, product launch, or simply a poor team dynamic. So that is our discussion on groupthink. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. Uh, Join us as we talk more about this and other great topics on product by design. You can, of course, find out more uh, by following us here on product by design, following me at Kyle Larry Evans. Uh, You can find all the links in the show notes and look forward to talking to you more soon. Thanks again for listening. If you like the show, be sure to follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow the show on Twitter at prod by design. That's prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me at Kyle Larry Evans on Twitter as well. If you want more product conversation, check out my newsletter product thinking at productthinking.cc. You can follow me on Medium at Kyle Larry Evans as well, or check out my Medium publication, uh, Product by Design. Thanks again. Thank you.